Hello and uh, welcome to day three at 1715. Uh, it's kernel hacking, I guess, exploitation time. <laughs> so you are to expect a technical talk. Um, please welcome from Italy, Twiz and Scragiu. Uh, thanks for coming. We're going to talk today about kernel exploitation. Uh, the talk will roughly be divided in two parts. My part will be covering the Solaris UltraSpark scenario, while Gracchio will tell you about Windows exploiting and the race condition on the Windows kernels. Um, we will focus on the UltraSpark architecture. It's a nice architecture from an exploiting point of view because it's a little bit harder than the x86 architecture you're probably more familiar with. Uh, it is an implementation on the Spark V9. It provides support for a fully separated uh, user land and kernel land other space. That means that a pointer in kernel land has no meaning in user land. The, it also provides execution permissions, so you will have pages where you can't execute from. Uh, when you have to exploit something, you have to know your enemy. So we have to figure out how the Solaris Spark architecture lets you implement uh, uh, the separation between user land and kernel land. This is a key thanks to context registers. The MMU provides two context registers which are settable. One is known as the primary context register, and the other one is the secondary context register. There is also one more context register, which is outwired to zero, and is known as the nucleus context. Uh, chart handling and uh, kernel code runs at the nucleus context. Each context register is a 13-bit value, and this value is used by the MMU when you reference a memory address to translate it from a virtual address to a physical address. If you specify a normal instruction and you are in user land, then you will be using the primary context. If you specify a particular instruction, which is an alternate instruction, load or store alternate, and you specify with it another space identifier, then you will be able to use the secondary context register to reference memory. Uh, when you are in user land, you usually have a primary context and second context uh, which are equal. When you are in kernel land, the nucleus context is the primary context register, and the process which traps into kernel land, its context register will be the secondary context register. So, checking that, you can see a small stub of code which will copy uh, data from the user land to the kernel land. The nice thing is that uh, if we manage to execute a stub of code like this one, uh, this is awful Spark assembly. It is just like uh, storing a byte, branching, keeping on branching, keeping on copying, and you see the last instruction, which, is, which has the A at the end, which means that you can specify an address space identifi identifier and then access the user space. The good thing is that if we can start executing that, then we can copy whatever we want from the user land, from our process inside kernel land. But we have a problem. How do we start executing that, or talking in a splotting way, which is our return address? Of course, we can't store the shell code in user land, as happens usually on x86 architectures. And uh, we can't use a no-exception area. For example, the kernel stack each process has is uh, allocated from the segkp, which gives you memory. And this memory is marked as non-executable, so you can't store a shell code in the stack and reference it. And of course, we can't boot false in the kernel, or it's just a boot. So we need to get information from the kernel. And uh, it's good because Solaris gives you a lot of information. That's probably because the Solaris kernel has been a closed source kernel for a lot of time. So they had to give to the developers uh, a wide range of information to handle the kernel. 
every running process has associated a property structure. The property structure you see there has an address, the one which is in blue, which is exported to user land. This is a great news. This means that we can know something inside the kernel from inside the user land. We know exactly where something is. So we take a closer look to this structure, and uh, we figure out that. That inside this structure, there is the user T structure. Uh, you see all these members? All these members are somehow controlled by us. It's the name of the program we are executing, it's the pointer address of our environment, it's the, there are the parameters which are on the command line. So most of the members of this structure are under our control, and we know exactly where they are because the address is supported. So, and there's even a more interesting news. These parameters, these values are stored in a place inside the kernel, which is executable. Uh, Solaris developers decided that because uh, these parameters are quite less likely to change. And so they thought it was not necessary to put execute permission protection on them. One of them, which is particularly interesting and that we will use in, during the talk, is the command line. You see, we are, it's a basically a char array of 80 bytes. So we have 80 bytes for our instruction. We can put whatever we want in those 80 bytes, and we know where it is. So what we can put? We can put the shortcode. So if we put it on the common line, then we will be able to use it as a return address. We will be able, from inside our exploit, to jump there and start executing. At that point, we have 80 bytes. But we have to check one more thing. You know that on UltraSpark, each instruction is four bytes long. So every time you access an instruction, every time the CPU accesses an instruction, it checks if the address you are accessing is aligned on a four-byte one day. And if it is not, it will be a trap, it will be a panic. So what we need to check if this offset is, is actually really on a four-byte one day. And it is not. But it's not really a big problem. We just skip three bytes, and we are on an aligned address. So we have space for 19 instructions. Uh, well, if you're used to x86 uh, shell coding, you might think that 19 instructions are very few. Well, actually, 19 instructions are more than enough for 90% of shell code you will be using inside the kernel on Solaris. But anyway, suppose that you need more. Suppose that you need to store a lot of lockings or there are a lot of problems. There are other things to handle. Well, we can just chain different processes. We can launch 10 processes, gather 10 different addresses, and we will level all the space of every single command line. We just put a branch at the end of our shell code. Remember the delay slot on Solaris? So remember to put an instruction after your jump, which will be executed actually before transferring the control, and then you're done. You have your shell code. So what I was saying, there is a shell code. This is a Working shell code, which will give you UID zero on Solaris kernels if you start executing it, given that you don't trash the stack. Uh, we start from the bottom. Uh, the fact that we don't trash the stack is very important, because return restore expect to find uh, somewhere to return into. And this information is provided by the stack. So if you're not exploiting on the stack, this information will be there, and you will be just using the stack that the color of your exploiting function has set up for you. Uh, this is good, but just remember that uh, that function will never finish. will never get to the end of its code. So if there is any lock pending or anything you need to do in this function, you need to have done on this function, you have to do it by yourself. We skim quickly on the shell code. Uh, it's very simple. Uh, we start checking. We need to get somewhere where the credentials are. The normal way to get an exploitation done from the kernel point of view is just to put into zero the structure which holds the information on your credentials. 
So the first thing we check is that there is a cartridge macros to get the, running, the current running processes. Uh, what we see is just that on G7, global register 7, there is always stored the address of the thread, the thread uh, structure. From there, we need to reach the proxy structure, which is where the credential will be stored. Well, there is one more point of interaction we will see in a short. And we just use MDB, this is the kernel version of MDB, to check this offset. You might think that this offset is something like a magic value. Well, solace 9, solace 8, and solace 10, and open solace all have this value. So you can use it pretty safely. If it will ever change, it's just a matter of uh, you name uh, dash A, and you will know on which kernel you are, and you will know the value. Actually, not much people uh, tend to change the state of the solace kernel, so you're pretty much safe. The second instruction we do is going to the credential struct, which is the one which will hold all the information about your UID. This is an example from a credential struct, which is already zero. Not a great example, sorry, but it's already zero. As you see from there, uh, we store the value on G0, which is zero, which, which is because G0, global register zero, I call it the value zero, which is very good because we don't have to put it into the shellcode. And we store it from the address of the credential struct plus four, so on UID. This is more than enough to execute some code to get an export done from inside the Solaris kernel. That's good. Uh, but we need to trigger a uh, condition which will make us execute some code. And so one example of an exploit kind of type, an exploit type which doesn't trash the stack is the slab overflow. We will talk now, we will see now in not many details, but quite precisely, what uh, slab overflow is and how to handle it. Uh, we know, you know that uh, slab is just uh, a way to reduce fragmentation inside the memory kernel, the kernel memory allocation. You just take a page, you divide it into objects, and when you need an object, you just get it from the slab. There are caches for common use object, imagine inode, so you need a lot of inode on the system, so you need an inode object many times, you need to free and get it many times. And there are also slabs, caches, for generic purpose allocation. Uh, the equivalent of the malloc call on user land, it's the command malloc call inside the kernel land, or the command malloc call on Linux. And uh, the slab cache is called command malloc n. n stands for the number, so command malloc 32, command malloc 64, and so on and so forth. Uh, this image, which is taken from Slice Internals, if you want to read a good book on the Slice kernel, take this one. Uh, this image uh, summarizes the use of the slab. Uh, if you're familiar, somehow familiar with the Linux slab, you will see that there is one more point of interaction inside this image, and which is a little bit of a problem when you come up into exploiting slab overflow on Solaris. Uh, the main idea is that the allocation starts from the top, and it will check if they, in the cache that every CPU holds, uh, there is some available objects. Those rectangles that you see are called magazines. Magazines are array of pointers. Each one of those magazines keeps one pointer to an empty, which is a white one, or a full object, which is, uh, sorry, uh, keeps a, a, an available object, which is like a blue one, or an empty slot, which is a white one. You can release an object inside an empty slot, or you can take an object from a full one, from a blue one. So what will happen is we ask for an object, we check the CPU cache, the per CPU cache. This is done because if you have a time processor, you want to reduce locking as much as possible, so having a per processor CPU cache is good. 
Uh, and if you don't have anything there which is working, everything is full, everything is empty, you go back to the depot layer. The depot layer is only one for, every kind, for all the CPUs, and so contention is analyzed at this level, and it will provide you a full magazine of objects or an empty magazine of objects. At the end, there is the slab, which is the, the same as Linux, basically. And the slab is interesting because all these things you see are all in the same physical page. That means that all those buffers are one after the other. So what is not true inside magazines is true inside slab. You see the point? We want to get to the, to the slab, and we want to have two buffers, one near the other, so we can free the first one, allocate our overflowing buffer, and go on the other one. Um, that's basically what I told you. Uh, this is the sequence when I locate, and the same sequence is performed when you release an object. So imagine the system starts, so nothing is allocated. You go back up to the slab layer, you allocate an object, then you free it. It will be freed at the first available point, and the first available point will be an empty magazine. So it will stay in the magazine. That's the reason why inside magazines you have a pointer which belongs to different pages, and so you can't rely on them. This is what magazines are. Containers or pointers. You have no guarantee, put that in mind because it's important, that two subsequent objects will be adjacent in memory. Magazine size is dynamically adjusted. This is a thing you, you don't really have to care much about. But if you're performing a, a long exploit, then you might take care about that. Because if another CPU is uh, competing for getting magazines, then that will, that will translate in contention at the deposit layer, and the kernel thread will enlarge the size of magazines, changing the calculation we have been doing up to that point. The default scheduling time of this thread is 15 seconds. Wherever you ever run an exploit, now that on, local, on a local machine, 15 seconds is usually more than enough. We must put, what we need to do is control precisely the, start, the state of the label locator so we can manage to exploit this kind of vulnerability. We use the user land. We get all the information from the user land. We use the KSTAT tool, KSTAT. Uh, the KSTAT provides statistics for most only, basically, ever subsystem inside the kernel, and also to slabs. This is an, an example of the output of the KSTAT commands uh, applied to the generic purpose cache in log 64. Uh, the one in blue are the one we are interested in. And take a quick look and remember them. What we, which is not easy, I know. But anyway, what you need is buff available, which tell you how many objects are free. So we need to exhaust somehow the cache, so that once the cache is exhausted, it will behave just like the cache at the start of the system. It will be a predictable cache. If something is predictable, that means that it is exploitable. So we want something predictable. So we exhaust all the cache, and we check, thanks to slab create, if a new slab has been created, at that point, we know that if we allocate some object from now on, they will be all one after the other in memory, all subsequent in memory. Full magazine, empty magazine, magazine sides are very useful to check if your exploiting is going to the right direction. And so if it is, perform the overflow. If it is not, don't perform it, because it might happen that it will crash the machine. Thanks to that, uh, we managed to write exploits which are almost one shot on the slice kernel. At that point, uh, what we need is to exhaust all the possible objects which are there. And to do that, what you basically need is just uh, some way to unlock a large number of objects. The solution is using the IPC services. Uh, you can unlock 
You can use LPC get to unlock a wide range number, a quite large number of objects from inside, um, from inside the kernel, and so exhaust the slab. The only thing you need now is some object that you want to overflow into, some object with a pointer. Uh, we don't have enough time here to go on this one. Just wait two weeks and an exploit will be released and you will see it. What we talked before, we say that uh, if you don't trash the stack, then it is easy. You can use the stack which is already there. But what happens if we trash the stack? What happens if a, a common overflow on the stack happens inside the kernel? Is that exploitable? It is. Because uh, we can recreate this, the stack. The best way to understand how to recreate the stack is uh, checking how it is used by the kernel. The first thing, this is exactly the starting code for uh, the user tab, which is the tab which is called when you assume a system call. Uh, the first part just gets you uh, Windows available inside the kernel. You don't really care about that. What you really, care to, what you really need to know is that uh, there is a member inside one structure inside the kernel, which basically uh, is used as the starting address point of the stack. So every operation on the stack will start from this address. So if we know how a system call will behave, we know how the stack will look like, at least at which distance everything will be. This is very good because uh, one more thing happens. There is a save. Save basically means that the new Windows is allocated, that uh, the frame pointer will be placed equal to G6, G6 is our stack. The stack bias is just a constant. The value is offset by. On 64-bit kernel, it is uh, 2047. On 32-bit kernels, you will never find a 32-bit kernel, so don't worry. But anyway, it's zero. Uh, so you, we know that this value can be an FP value, and so we can use it to at least have a good point to restore a register from. And this point is the way what we want to get to get back to the user land. What we need now is just the correct return address. I mean, we know where, the where to get into the stack, but we don't know yet which function will return from that point on the stack. If we manage to find it, then we are done. Then our exploit is basically done. The good thing is that uh, the L3 register, the local free register, which is saved on the stack upon a function call, which is the first one you see, actually uh, they will be executed from the bottom to the up. But it's, more, it's easier, in my opinion, to see it like that, so I put it like that. And uh, the L3 register actually contains the address of the syscall trap for LP64, the syscall trap 32 for LP32 syscall, depending on which kind of syscall you issue. If it's a 32-bit syscall, because you can have a 32-bit user land on a 64-bit kernel land, then it, it will be using uh, syscall 32, otherwise it will be syscall trap. At this point, we know that somewhere on the stack, and you remember that we know the address of the stack, so we know where exactly, we know, uh, we know our return address. The only thing we don't, this is just to prove that, that I'm not telling you lies. Uh, you can check this is the stack, the tstack uh, address, and you can see that the address of syscall trap 22 is exactly where we expect to find it, or that is, exactly where the L3 register is saved. So we get to our shellcode. This shellcode is in, it's a working shellcode for kernel exploitation of a stack overflow. As you see, we use the syscall trap 32 address on the red line. We use the FP. You see the blue line is just using the FP from the Kitred T stack uh, member. The first part is the same we saw before, so we know that in G7 there is a Kitred stack. Uh, then we use T stack to get to syscall trap 32. We offset the stack bias constant, and then we jump in the exact point inside syscall trap 22 because it was 
at some points it's called top 32, called the user, user trap, so we want to get at that point. Yes, these addresses are coded. So that's not wonderful. I mean, if you know the kernel which is running, so you do a unim dash a on slice 9 and slice 10, this value is okay as long as you use it. But it might not be okay if a lot of people start using open slice and compile this kernel. But what we can do is writing an approach scanning from syscall chap 32 and calculate it at runtime. I won't show you this one here. It will be online uh, after the talk, in a couple of weeks after the talk. Uh, you will see it's just like five instructions to do that. So a completely reliable uh, kernel exploit, uh, shell code for the kernel, for the kernel stack vulnerability can be done in 10, 12 instructions, which is more than enough. With that, I leave the stage to Zgrakiu. This is done for the Solaris Park. We'll talk to you about uh, Windows size condition. I finished. Hi. And uh, first of all, I apologize for uh, my bad English. I hope you enjoy anyway this part of the talk. Um, in this part of the talk, uh, we speak about uh, race condition in Windows and then third-party software integrated in that. Uh, we are used uh, to see uh, user space race condition like uh, in signal handler or in user space uh, multiple thread or uh, uh, time to check, uh, time to use uh, attack like simlink attack race condition. In kernel space, uh, things are different because uh, most of the kernel data is shared globally because uh, virtually any place in the kernels can be vulnerable by race condition if uh, we, the code don't use properly a locking mechanism. We have uh, uh, different type of, of race condition uh, between uh, multiple process, uh, between uh, interrupt and process context, uh, or uh, between uh, multiple process context accessing user space. Uh, we deal with the user space case uh, on uh, uniprocessor system because it's more difficult to exploit uh, this type of vulnerability respect to the symmetric multiprocessor system because uh, there is one processor and one process at a time run on the computer. Uh, some basic view, uh, some basic knowledge about uh, scheduling and memory management to better uh, comprehend uh, the rest of the, the, the slide. Uh, the key concept is th that uh, we can uh, exploit risk condition if we um, uh, making making process switch uh, context process switch deterministic. We, we can make a deterministic uh, with respect to the time and to the place. Sometimes uh, um, it's better to make uh, the, the process switch um, working without uh, knowledge, uh, the knowledge of where the process uh, switch uh, occurs, but uh, only that it, may, it must occur. Uh, at the time we must. Uh, uh, we must uh, oblige the process to sleep at deterministic time, but also in a deterministic place, as we see later. Uh, the process may sleep uh, voluntarily, uh, waiting for some resource, uh, with demand paging, that uh, is the most important key, uh, as, it, as we see later. Uh, if the time lies expires, uh, of viewing expected operation. Uh, for example, on Linux, you might sleep uh, call. Uh, the most important thing is the demand paging because we use uh, that feature of kernel to exploit uh, risk condition. Uh, another key is that uh, a process that runs with higher priority is scaled before uh, or in place uh, of a lower priority process. Uh, 
Briefly about demand paging. Demand paging is used by the kernel to optimize these caches because they not transfer all the data uh, from disk to memory, but they wait uh, for the process to make the first uh, access to the memory, and only then it transfer uh, only the used part of the program. Then. Uh, in, the, in, that, in that moment, uh, the process is put to sleep because uh, there is a disk access. Uh, this cache uh, is important uh, because uh, we can, mm, uh, the page fault, when uh, the kernel uh, detects a page fault, uh, the page fault handler don't transfer only the page we need, but transfer also any other page nearer what, uh, that we need and store them in a, in a disk cache. It's important to know this because we must uh, empty, full this cache to empty our data from this cache because uh, um, a pitch fault that arches this cache instead of the disk don't put the process to sleep. Then there may be, may be that put, mm, may put the process to sleep but it's not deterministic. Uh, how we can force, uh, force a process to sleep is a generic approach. I take either uh, uh, Linux or uh, Windows. Uh, we can take a page clustering value if we need to um, force the, uh, the sleep in a deterministic place with the, uh, when the kernel read the, uh, some address. Uh, if we need only to make a, a process switch without uh, knowing exactly what, in, uh, what address the page clustering is the, um, not needed. Uh, we can take it with the API from PROC and is uh, the number of pages uh, that the kernel maps in the user space uh, when a page fault occurs. Then we must write into a file the data we must uh, want into memory and then map it into memory using shared mapping. With the map on Linux or so with create, ma uh, create file mapping and map of file on Windows. We must uh, then keep uh, out our data from the cache because uh, if the data remains the cache, a page fault in memory don't put our process to sleep always. Then uh, for this, uh, if you have uh, administrative right, uh, we can do some uh, uh, thing to um, make this faster as we see later, as we next. Um, if you have not that, uh, we must access a file system, a many file on the file system, uh, like searching a huge file. We can create or finding a already uh, huge file, map it in memory, and try to keep uh, all this data into memory. If uh, uh, we have not uh, a huge amount of RAM of on in our machine, you can, we, uh, we can, in a deterministic way, put uh, our uh, data away from cache. And then if a uh, new access uh, to it, uh, um, makes a deterministic fault and then a, a, a switch. This is an example of a payload uh, in memory. In this case, uh, we uh, use this payload in exploits for um, uh, MD64 MD kernel on Linux. Uh, in this case, we need also that the uh, default happens uh, exactly at the, uh, the precise address. Then we have to align the address of the second structure in the clustering uh, value, as you see before. Uh, in this example, uh, the kernel, uh, um, when the kernel accepts the first uh, structure, nothing happens. When, the, uh, when uh, accepts exactly the first uh, control message LAN of the control message structure, in the second uh, structure here, a pitch fault occurs and another thread uh, wait, uh, waiting for the race can change the first LAN, making uh, a, a LAN miscalculation and the buffer overflow in the kernel. 
uh, this the, the um, real topic uh, uh, also uh, how um, windows in how third party software integrating windows like desktop, desktop protection or, or personal fire or antivirus are implemented inside windows inside the windows kernel and how we can uh, exploit this risk condition uh, in the system to bypass uh, control on that there is some work uh, about this topic in, uh, in some uh, unix framework uh, ids and openbsd and so i want to analyze uh, this because in windows uh, there is no such um, research in depth and uh, seem that uh, uh, those uh, product uh, will uh, continue to use uh, API can space hooking at last on Windows XP uh, for uh, a long time. Uh, this is brief history of uh, how this product uh, uh, manage to protect uh, Windows system all those space uh, API hooking this is not uh, more used. Uh, kernel device filter, this is uh, uh, used to monitor uh, device or file system and this is placed in a lower uh, deep in the kernel and don't manage with the user space, this is uh, quite safe. And the API kernel space hooking that is used by most of these products uh, seems to be uh, secure respect to the API user space hooking but it's a broken design because it's placed uh, in the middle of the chain of the API hooking because uh, and so uh, uh, header API wrapper then uh, original API access user space. How they are implemented? They are implemented as an API wrapper. They are called before the real API. Uh, uh, there is some check before, and uh, some, some products make a check also after uh, the call of the original API. Uh, where the hook is placed, uh, mainly is placed in the, service, uh, uh, the system service description table or uh, patching the initial bytes of the API, like some uh, malware. Uh, here, a simple example how API hooking on SSDT. Uh, is done. The problem is that uh, the first API uh, access, the, the wrapper API of the personal firewall access the user space and then also the original Windows API access the same user space in a different uh, moment. This is a typical uh, time to check, time to use uh, fault inside the kernel. And, uh, and finally, hit return in the routine that come back to user space. There is uh, some uh, programming error in uh, SSD, SSDI hooking. The first are uh, implementation errors of individual uh, antivirus. Uh, the third and the fourth uh, are uh, logical error, designed error that are quite uh, um, founded in all uh, this product. Uh, mainly the first is a design error of the entire implementation of this uh, type of check. I mainly uh, discuss the last uh, two. Uh, I managed to, uh, to show um, two, ty two types of this vulnerability using the first uh, fun fun three functions that are monitored by all uh, this product, and that are write virtual memory, that is used to write uh, memory inside another other space, uh, create thread and set value key uh, as an example for double uh, space access vulnerability. In the first uh, example, uh, by virtual memory, uh, many products don't manage uh, to control every access to the process, but uh, try to uh, get only dangerous uh, environment, uh, like in this function, uh, monitoring only that uh, there is no uh, write inside another process space 
if uh, the processor activity space memory we, are, we try to write to is, is executable. In, the, in this uh, case, uh, stop uh, or deny the operation. We can uh, bypass it uh, using uh, uh, more API that change the environment that is checked by the personal firewall. Uh, for example, creating a, a read-write uh, memory chunk, then writing with write virtual memory that is not denied because it's not executable, and then uh, modify another time the memory using page execute uh, protection use, uh, using a protect virtual memory. This is only an example of multiple API, but there is other example I can make. More interesting is the design error of the double, double user space success. Uh, I take the set value key function, but it's the same for the create thread. Uh, this function is used to write uh, a value, in, value inside a key, a already open key in the registry. Uh, how personal firewalls or antivirus works in this case? Normally, they allow the open of key and then uh, deny every write uh, inside it. Um, then first uh, get the key handle, a handle descriptor, find uh, the object referring to this handle, then uh, work, uh, um, match some of the environment we pass through the API uh, with the, the key and deny or allow based on that value. We can bypass it uh, using an individual, in find uh, two main techniques based on the API prototype based on what uh, argument we can pass to the API. And uh, the first invalid parameters, parameters race. Uh, there are different prerequisites in this uh, in this sample. Uh, the API must have the last one external structure to access, like Unicode struct. The API must reference user space memory at last once, and the API wrapper must pass environment, environment to the real API. Then the virus, the antivirus, may be uh, fooled by uh, invalid structure. What you can make is to map a user space uh, a file to user space memory, try to empty this memory from this cache, construct an invalid structure, and create a second thread winding for the race. And that uh, when the race uh, kick up. He changed uh, the structure in a suitable manner. Then we can see a graph uh, to know better how it works. Uh, he uses a space stack uh, pointing to a um, space structure. Uh, as you see, the first structure is invalid, and uh, many antivirus impl implementations don't manage uh, this type of structure. When uh, the arguments are copied by in the kernel, in the kernel stack, we have uh, first uh, the, the API wrapper of the antivirus uh, copy uh, the reference, the argument inside the structure. Then, uh, when uh, he try to access uh, user space uh, in a second uh, argument, a page fold occur because uh, uh, the data is not in memory but on the disk. And uh, another thread, wake up, uh, had been scheduled and change in a right manner the structure. When the antivirus uh, don't manage this structure that already copy inside uh, his stack memory, pass uh, all, uh, all the arguments to the original DLPI that find a new structure that uh, is valid and can manage. The other telling is mo more re reliable and uh, can be used uh, with all function that had at last uh, an handle, that most of the function in Windows. Uh, the API must uh, deference uh, also in, uh, in, in that example, it last once uh, the user space to trigger uh, the race. 
Uh, also in this uh, example, we can map, uh, we create file mapping in, on Windows. Uh, there's a space memory. We must allocate an handle uh, pointing to a safe, safe object. As a safe object, I intend an object uh, that are not uh, critical for the antivirus monitoring. It, for example, uh, we can open uh, a registry key that is not monitoring, uh, that we, uh, is not a critical key. We try to empty the memory from this cache to uh, getting the race. Create a second thread waiting for the race that uh, this time don't uh, recreate uh, a structure, but uh, simply close the handle that we have fast and uh, reopen it using a different controller job object. Now the object we want to write to really. Here's the graph, uh, and this is uh, more clearly all the work. This is uh, uh, the free argument, the handle in yellow, and the other two are pointer to user space uh, data, the unique struct and the address. Uh, now all the struct uh, is okay, then uh, there is no invalid uh, value inside them. When uh, they are copied to the kernel, uh, the kernel start, add, start uh, getting uh, handle and resolving the handle with the object. Uh, we see the handle is uh, an index inside, uh, like an index inside uh, a kernel handle table that point uh, uh, to the real object. Then the, the wrapping routine of the antivirus get uh, that pointer to the real object using the handle. Then when try to access uh, a second parameters in the user space, uh, for example here in data, aligned, uh, a, a race could be called a page fault occur, a new thread can be scheduled, and the new thread, what, what uh, do the new thread? The new thread simply close the handle and then reopen it using another object. Now, because the kernel handle table is shared among thread of a unique process, the same handle in the same name that, that is copied before in the kernel stack point to a new object. Now, when the um, antivirus uh, wrapper pass, uh, pass the arguments to the um, uh, original API, API find uh, the same index pointing to a different object, what uh, we can write to, for example, uh, rank ones or other key monitored by antivirus. Uh, some tips uh, against uh, uh, this type of vulnerability. Uh, there is uh, no really workaround. Uh, all workaround, or quite all workaround, uh, can be bypassed, uh, mainly in the second technique, because uh, uh, all, wrapper all wrapper function that uh, resolve the object and then use it uh, are vulnerable uh, to this type of uh, arrays. I, test, I don't test for all product uh, that make personal file antivirus on Windows, but um, what, uh, all uh, what I test are vulnerable. There is some difference in explanation vector because in, the f in the first case, uh, because uh, no all uh, antivirus threat uh, invalid instruction in the same manner. In the second case, uh, instead, is uh, always uh, the same payload works quite well. Uh, there is some uh, uh, tips, uh, for example, when you can uh, empty faster the cache, for example, when we have uh, a huge memory, more than uh, one or two gigabyte in a desktop is uh, now quite uh, common. Uh, if we have uh, admin right or at last uh, quota privilege, and some other privilege we need, is uh, to enlarge the process working set size, then using virtual lock and map your file X to map a, a huge anonymous mapping and uh, block all memory inside it. Then virtual lock lock uh, all the virtual memory inside physical memory. Then the physical memory was uh, full and the rest of uh, the access uh, to the memory force uh, a swap off of the cache. 
if you have not admin rights, uh, this is the opposite uh, uh, technique that we can uh, make a smaller, uh, like uh, also until zero, the process working set. Then uh, when uh, we try to fill the, ca to to, to fill the cache, um, the process uh, is, uh, is our data in the process is the first uh, to be uh, putting out of the cache. But uh, we uh, always uh, try to fill uh, uh, the disk cache if, not, uh, if we have not admin rights. How to fill the antivirus when the race doesn't kick up? Uh, because race condition is uh, in with this technique uh, can be deterministic, but uh, sometimes can happen that uh, he, don't, he doesn't uh, doesn't kick up, uh, we can, when preferred, uh, use the second technique, the handle object redirect attack, because uh, it's safe in the point of view of the antivirus logging, because uh, if uh, the race uh, doesn't kick up, uh, the antivirus get uh, uh, the old uh, object we pass, then uh, a not critical object, and uh, there is no log or pop-up uh, from the antivirus. The uh, nasty thing can happen is that the exploit don't work, then we can, can write uh, to the end that we intend to, but uh, uh, we can uh, remake another try uh, without uh, uh, getting uh, discovered by the protection system. There is a, a reference, uh, vabbè, uh, um, then the article we wrote uh, with tweets about kernel exploiting. Uh, this part is not uh, inside that because it was not completed the date uh, where the article come out. And uh, here related to this part uh, is a very good uh, article about uh, some uh, Unix uh, uh, IDS exploiting using a similar technique. Uh, either in a uh, uniprocessor and simple uh, symmetric multiprocessor system. Then uh, I finished. Uh, there is any questions uh, for me? Uh, yes, sir.